Thank you, musicians, singers. We appreciate your ministry this morning. If you have your Bibles today, would you turn them to 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 7 in a moment. I want to preach a message. This morning I've entitled, The Sorrow That Becomes Light. You know, all of our faith must be tested. I read a devotional the other day. It says, all faith must be tested. God tests our faith in order that we may grow. No Christian can grow without first having his faith tested. The only way God can help us grow is by testing our faith. We come to God and receive all of his grace by faith. When our faith is tested, we spontaneously grow. God tests our faith not only for our growth, but also to satisfy himself. No one who has believed in the Lord and received God's grace can avoid the testing of faith. The testing of faith proves that we have genuine faith. It is genuine faith uh, that satisfies God. God's name is glorified in this world through through an approved faith. When we pass through tribulations, persecutions, obstacles, and darkness, uh, and we still believe after these tests and still stand fast after these trials, uh, this faith will glorify God's name. You know, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus never minimized or tried to tell us that, you know what, our Christian life was going to be problem-free, that it was going to be free of trials. But he also acknowledged that uh, uh, a tested faith, amen, is something that we need, amen, is something that approves our faith, uh, and it, it gives a needed light to others walking their walk of faith, uh, and others who have no faith that are looking for something to believe in. You know, when, they, when a person sees a Christian stand strong in the face of a trial, they really begin to say, hey, he must really believe what he says. I remember uh, when my youngest daughter, Ashley, got sick and lost her hearing, almost died. And there was several people I worked with. They said, man, how can you still, you know, believe God? When this is how you're, you're a Christian. You know, you're living right. How come, how come God lets this happen to you? I didn't have any answers. Just like in the videos for Sunday school, why did God allow Pastor Warner to have his back broken? You know, how do you answer those questions? You don't. But at the end of the day, your faith will be tested, whether it's uh, some kind of tragedy or whether it's some kind of trial. Your faith will be tested. uh, And when your faith is tested and you still stand, there's something very powerful about that. And so we're going to go ahead and read 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials." That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're just walking in constant victory this morning, uh, you know, maybe this isn't for you. But if you've gone through some trials lately, this message is for you. And if you're not going through a trial right now, there's going to come a time when you do go through a trial. 
Because Jesus said, he said, in this world, you will have tribulations. He said, it's going to happen. Whether it hits you now or at some other point in life, there's going to be time when your faith is tested. And so in verse 6, I want to talk about uh, the grieving of trials. It says, you have been grieved by various trials. The Bible is real about the impact that trials have upon our lives. It says, it brings a grieving. The King James Version actually says, uh, it brings a heaviness. All of us have or will have the feeling of the heaviness of a trial or trials, plural. Our text says, you have been grieved by various trials. Not just one trial, but several trials on many fronts. You can have a marriage crisis at the same time having a financial crisis, at the same time having a health crisis. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so the Bible acknowledges that there's afflictions, that there's testings uh, to our faith. Uh, you know, think of Job when we think about many trials uh, and what happened with him when he experienced the trial of his faith in Job 1, 13 through 19. It says, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another uh, also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone escaped to tell you, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their, in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they, were, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You know, one thing you see, and there's a, while he was still speaking, it's like, so this happened, and then while you see, so you're still trying to process that, and here comes some more news. Okay, now you're trying to process, and then here comes some more news. And so, I mean, you know, sometimes trials are like that. They come to us not just one at a time, but they're one on top of the other, and, and we're trying to process through one of them, trying to work through one. Then here comes another one. Sometimes life comes at you hard. And sometimes the heaviness of a trial can have impact upon your soul. You know, David said in Psalm 119, 28, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. He said, I feel the heaviness of my situation. You know, he acknowledged that this was impacting him. And so, uh, you know, I want to be real this morning. Trials impact our lives. They bring a grieving. They bring a heaviness. We fight an oppression. This grieving or a heaviness that can be of a loved one that's gone astray. How many of you know that's a very heavy thing to endure? I remember when my son wasn't serving God and how that consumed our minds as parents. Our prayers and everything. Just, and there was a heaviness. You know, all the things that you didn't do right. All the things, mistakes, you begin to mount up in your mind. This, uh, and this feeling of hopelessness that it's never going to turn around. It's always going to be this way. 
Paul talked about his desire for Israel to be saved in Romans 9, 1 through 3. He said, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul walked in victory in Jesus Christ. He loved the Lord. He's full of the Holy Ghost. But he says, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart because I wanted my countrymen to be saved. And so Paul knew what it was to bear the burden of, a, of lost loved ones. Now, he, he was the nation of Israel was his uh, burden, but he said he carried this great sorrow and continual grief. Does that mean that he's walking around oppressed? Is it, you know, no, he felt the impact of their lost condition. And when we have a loved one that's not serving God, when we have somebody that we're close to and we, and we feel the weight of that, uh, uh, that is a heaviness, uh, it is a great sorrow and continual grief in our hearts. You know, the grieving of trials is really a sign of genuine faith because it acknowledges there's something in us that is saying this is not God's perfect will for man. How I many you know when you see a lost loved one you say this is not God's will for your life. This is not what God wants. This is not God's plan for your life. And you grieve over that. And so if you had no understanding of the will of God, if you had no relationship with God, you wouldn't be grieving or sorrowing. You know when Jesus faced the cross in Matthew 26, 36 to 38, and Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus told his disciples, I am sorrowful. I, this thing is, this, this, what I'm about to face it has me full of grief. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. I'm exceedingly sorrowful. You know, the scripture tells us out of Isaiah that Jesus understands and part of him going to the cross was to take our sorrows and griefs. In Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so Jesus you know, went to the cross. He understands your grief. He understands your sorrows. Uh, and it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And so it's not, you don't have to feel guilty about feeling sorrowful. There's a time for that. There's, you're going to hit a trial that's going to cause you to be full of grief and sorrow. Jesus went to the cross to take that upon the cross for you. And he's acquainted, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. He understands what you're feeling. So I'm going to look next at the purpose of our trials. This devotional says, God tests our faith, not only for the purpose of our growth and God's satisfaction, our approved faith will shut up the mouth of Satan, 
Satan will not easily concede that we have believed. When he realizes that we are uncompromising, he will retreat. You know, God uses trials in our lives to produce genuine faith. There's fake gold. There's fake diamonds. There's cubic zirconium, you know, make it look like, but it's not the real thing. And the thing that makes it the real thing is it's formed with all this pressure, with all this intensity. That's what makes it so valuable. Uh, just read a little bit about a diamond formation, 100 miles deep in the earth, a layer separating our hospital exterior from the molten core known as the mantle is where diamonds were made. Temperatures boiled above 2,100 degrees Fahrenheit and pressure exceeding 725,000 pounds per square inch, more than 45,000 times greater than its sea level. The extreme heat and pressure combined actually modified graphite, a crystalline carbon on the atomic level. This restructured graphite's molecular composition from a hexagonal sheet pattern into a triangular shape resulting in a diamond. That's how diamonds are fashioned. They're fashioned 100 miles deep in the earth, 2,100 degrees, 725,000 pounds per square inch. That's how a diamond is made. You know, our faith is often like that. Our faith is formed in the fires of life. Our faith is formed under the pressures of life. Verse 7 of our text says that the genuineness of your faith, being much uh, more, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, uh, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Fire and pressure reveals impurities. How many of you know that? You know the old, and many people have used this illustration that, uh, you know, in verse 7 it says maybe that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that, par- that perishes, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some people have taken that uh, to actually mean he's speaking in a, refiner- a, a refinery-type way. That the way they used to purify gold and precious metals and silver also is they would put it in a kettle and they would heat it up, and the impurities... Uh, would boil to the surface. And as the impurities would boil to the surface, they would take a skimmer and they would skim off the impurities. And after they continued to do that, that process over and over again, when they saw the perfect reflection of their face in the metal, then they knew that the metal was pure. And so this is true of us. And how many of you know that when we go through testings and trials, sometimes the impurities come to the surface, don't they? Things come out. I can't believe God's letting me go through this. You know, and this and, you know, all kinds of things. All kinds of things surface. We didn't know we're there many times. Man, I didn't know that was there. Where'd that come from? The trial reveals it. The fire reveals it. And this is done not to damage us. This is done that God might purify us. That God might make our faith genuine. 
you know, God uses trials in our lives to prove to the world and the devil that our faith is genuine. This was the conversation between Satan and God had with about Job. Because, see, it's what Satan believes is that the only reason people serve God is because everything goes good in their life. God always blesses them. You always get the good job. You always get the spouse you want. You always get the marriage you want. You always get the job you want. You always get the, you know, you always get the blessing. You always get the healing. But what about when that doesn't happen? See, Satan believes that, you know what, if this wasn't happening, they wouldn't serve you, God. That was his conversation with God. In Job 1, verses 8 through 11, in the New Living Translation, it says, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. See, Satan couldn't serve God because he was in it for himself. And he couldn't handle him not getting the attention. He wanted, I will be like the Most High. That's what he wanted. And he believes everybody else is like that. That the only reason that, they're, that they become Christians and serve God is their self-interest. Now, there is a self-interest if you want to go to heaven. You know, there's a self-interest to that. I agree. But he says, you know, the only reason they would ever serve God on a consistent basis uh, is that because God's doing, he's protecting them, he's blessing them. Oh, look, you've set a hedge of protection around. You blessed a man. He just cursed you to your face because that's what Satan thinks. That God, if you don't do everything the way I want, then I'm out of here. See, what happens if for a season, and it'll happen, we don't get anything from God? God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. It seems like nothing good is happening. That's when our faith is tested. You know, one of the things that I was putting this together, I was thinking about the Bible studies that we've been uh, doing, the Red Sea Rules. And one of the things that Pastor Warner, he did that study, he asked over and over in that study is, how can God be glorified in this? Instead of looking at our situation and our trials that we're going through and say, why am I going through this? He asked the question, how can God be glorified in this? And he has room to ask that question. Because, I mean, there was a time when he was, you know, sitting in a hospital, only married for nine months with a broken back, never going to walk again. And so instead of saying, how come God let me go through this? He's saying, how can God be glorified in this? Well, God can be glorified in this. He can go to Tucson, start a church, and start a conference church. And, and you know, God can use him in a great... That's how God can be glorified. <clears throat> it's not an easy question to answer, though, when you're going through it, is it? Trials are not only a sign to Satan of our genuine faith. See, God, you know, God proved to Satan that Job's faith was genuine. Now, Job had no idea that this conversation was going on, you know. One of those, one of those maddening things is that at the end of Job, God never sits Job down and says, Job, this is why you just went through everything you went through. I just want to let you know this is why you went so I could write the Bible, you know. 
He didn't tell him that. And sometimes he doesn't tell us why we go through what we go through. But part of it is to prove to the devil that we are, we love God, whether, you know, there's, there's ups and there's downs. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But our trials are not only assigned to Satan of our genuine faith, but they're assigned to others in the faith that are struggling themselves. They're a testimony to other people that are going through a time of difficulty. In 2 Corinthians 1, I tried to narrow this down, but it's so, so good, so rich. I'm going to read seven verses, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will, be partaker, uh, uh, you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death, and does deliver, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So Paul was saying that everything that we go through, as apostles, he said, we're doing so you will see how God helps us, even in our trials. He says, uh, uh, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that came to you. He says, we went through such a trial that we despaired even of life, that Paul was basically saying, I want to die. I'd rather die than go through what I'm going through right now. And some of you have been to that place. Man, I'd just rather die than go through what I'm going through right now. See, trials are meant to be a sign in our lives and also a place where God can bring his comfort to us. doesn't mean he takes the trial away, but he brings his comfort in the trial. He brings his presence in the trial. The trial's still there, but God's grace and presence is there too. You know, we have several people that have lost loved ones recently. I did a lot of funerals in Tucson. That was part of what we did. We had 50 funerals, I think, in two years during COVID and everything, and just many things, tragic deaths and different things. But one thing I always noticed, it was tragic. It was unimaginable grief and sorrow, but also compensated with the presence and glory of God. That people would tell me, man, I just, I can't believe I'm going through this. This is such a shock. But you know, I feel the presence of God like I've never felt the presence of God. I, I feel God's spirit like I've never felt God's spirit before. Unimaginable grief, heaviness and sorrow, and the spirit and the presence of God. You know, Paul told Timothy during a time of great struggle with fear, he said, when I call to remembrance the genuine 
the faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, uh, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, God was encouraging me. Paul was encouraging Timothy, and he says, you know, you need to stir up that gift. He said that genuine faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Now, we don't know how that genuine faith came to be in their lives, but part of that was his mother was married to an unbeliever. His, 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 his father was an unbeliever, Timothy's father. We know this because Acts 16, verse 1 says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Now, that mean that Greek people can become Christians, okay? But he's, he's making a comment there that she's a Jewish woman who believes, and the father's not into this. He's a Greek. You know, he's like on the other side. And so Timothy grew up, and so I'm sure his mother, you know, when you're unequally yoked, that's a trial. But somehow she had a genuine faith out of that. She didn't give up, well, my husband's not saved, so I guess I can't serve God. No, she's had a genuine faith. The Bible says, Paul said, I'm praying for that genuine faith. To get into you, to, you're facing fear. She was facing an unsaved spell. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the trial is. But many times we need a genuine faith to overcome that trial. We also need to see that our trials, though they may be intense, are temporary. John 16, 20 through 22. Most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish or joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you have sorrow. You now have sorrow. But I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice in your joy. No one will take from you. That's what you have to remember when you're going through a trial. I want to look now, finally at the light that's produced from our trials. And I'm had to work through this. I hope it comes across right, but I believe it will. Trials are weathered through. They become a light to others and a show of our genuine faith and a light that shines even in the congregation of God. You know, when Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted by the devil. 40 days of fasting and prayer, no food. You know, you can imagine the intense battle that he faced. The devil, you know, took him up on the mountain and, you know, did all these different trials and turned this rock into a piece of bread. If you've been fasting for 40 days, that sounds like a good idea. I'd have turned it into a pizza. Amen. Amen. You know? Never mind bread. Let's make that um, thin crust supreme pizza, you know, later for the bread. But there was something about that testing and trial that was trying to get him to fall, trying to get him to fail. And listen to what it says in Luke 4, 13 through 19. Now when the devil had entered every temptation, he departed from him for until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went throughout all, throughout all the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom, as his custom was. Uh, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. This happened after this severe trial and severe testing. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he stood up in the temple on that day. This day the scripture is fulfilled in years. He's, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Liberty to the captives. Recovery, recovery of sight to the blind. There's a new light that's shining from Jesus Christ. Because he had endured a trial. And so there's a new light that shines from our lives. When we endure a trial, when you endure a time of testing, there's a new light that will come from your life. It's interesting in the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 27, 20, and 21. It says, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening Evening until morning before the Lord, it shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. It says that they shall bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light. These olives were pressed to get the oil that would burn with that lamp. They were pressed. You know, it's interesting, just did a quick search and of the word pressed in the Bible. It says the men in Sodom pressed against uh, him trying to get into the house. Tried to press against Lot. Delilah pressed Samson every day to tell him the source of his strength. Paul said in Corinthians that he was hard pressed on every side. Jesus was pressed by the multitudes. And so it's the pressing of life that produces light in our lives. And it, the, the pressing is the trial. There's something pressing on you, trying to get you to fold, trying to get you to give up on your faith, trying to get you to give in. And when we don't, that provides the light. That provides the light. That's what provided the light in the tabernacle was the pure oil of pressed olives. I probably won't read through all of this, but um, mention the scripture in the New Year's in Zechariah 4, where it talks about the revelation of the lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes with seven lamps, and two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, the other at its left, and God answers his question. He says, do you know what these are, Zerubbabel? He says, I don't know what these are. In Zechariah 4, 11 through 14, he says, um, and he answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? So these were the light, these were the oil that, that came that provided the light for the tabernacle. 
He said, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two, two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And you read in Revelation 11, 4 through, uh, through 6, uh, talks about the two anointed ones uh, that, that begin to preach during the tribulation. And it says that power will, will proceed. Uh, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this matter. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood, to strike with all plagues as often as they desire. And so if you read this story, I was trying to abbreviate this. They are killed and they are were, they were set uh, in public for three days and the world rejoices because these prophets are no longer around. But after three days, God raises them from the dead. And so the light that came from their lives, these anointed ones came from the pressure and the trials that they went through. And they brought a light to a world full of darkness. Everything we go through in life, God is in the middle of it doing something in us. And we can ask, how can God be glorified in this? And also, what's God trying to do in me in this trial? Final scripture, Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3, says, Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So God says he comes as a refiner and a purifier. And that happens through the heat and the pressures of life. We hate that. But listen, I'm here to tell you, folks, just like Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trials. And some are going to be intense. And some are going to put you through what you never thought you could endure. But on the other side, it's like Jesus. He returned in the power of the Spirit. After all that testing, after all those trials, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And your testimony, too, can be you can return. And there will be a new strength. There will be a new confidence in your walk with God. There will be a new confidence in God as you endure the trials that you go through in life. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Appreciate all of you today that have come to the house of God. The sorrow that becomes light, you know, the grieving that we feel in trials, as we endure that, that can be a sign and a help to other people that are going through the same trial. It can be a comfort for them. And... I know there are people here today, you're going through unimaginable sorrow. You're going through that heaviness and that grief that the Bible speaks about. David talked about it. He was a spiritual man. He loved God. But he said, this heaviness is overwhelming me. And so Jesus knows what it is. 
says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understands what you're going through today. And he wants to help you and strengthen you in this trial. Before we go any further, I just want to take an opportunity here. Maybe you came today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't know what it means to be born again. Or perhaps you're backslidden today. Maybe it was a trial that took you away from God. Or maybe you're in the midst of a trial, but maybe this trial is your own doing. It's your own sin. It's your own you know, behavior that has caused this trial. Or maybe it's just kind of mystifying. Some things have happened to you you don't understand. I'm here to tell you there's a Savior who understands what you're going through. There's a Savior who understands your heartbreak. That he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He understands what it means to have his heart broken. He understands what it means to have disappointment. Where all he wants to do is good and they put him on a cross. All he wants to do is, is do good and heal and deliver people from demons. And they, and they try to chase him down and persecute him. They try to stone him. He understands what it means to be misunderstood. He's acquainted with those things. And you can experience his comfort and his presence and his Holy Spirit today by yielding your life to him. If that's you today and you're unsaved or you're backslidden today and you need a Savior, you know you need to turn to God. You're under conviction right now. God's revealing, uh, just God's revealing to you right now your desperate need of a Savior you're under conviction. You feel that your heart pounding. You know you need to get right with God. That's you today. You slip up your hand and put it right back down. Say, yes, that's me. I need God today. Slip up your hand right now. God will help you if you'll be honest. Someone here today, you need to turn to God. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Amen. Church, I preach this today. You know, it's... Not my favorite topic. But I also understand that there's people go through things. And sometimes we get convicted because we, you know, we're grieving. We're in sorrow. And hey, listen, it's part of life. It's part of the Christian life. But the thing is, is that God can help us go through it. We don't have to stay there. They, those who pass through the valley of the shadow of death... What does that mean? We don't camp out in the valley of shadow. We're going to pass through. We're going to come out on the other side. But when you're in it, it's no fun. I've been there many times in my life, intense trial, not understanding why did this happen? Why did that happen? Uh, how come this never turns out? How come I face the same old problem? I seem to want to do right, but man, this always just turns out wrong. And we get confused and we get we start drawing wrong conclusions about God and his love. What did Job say? He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. God is still God no matter what I'm going through. He's still my Lord. He's still my God. I don't understand everything that's going on, but I know that God is a good God. And I know eventually he's going to help me through this time. So some of you, I believe, God will help you. You make an altar and let God help you in your grief. Let God comfort you in your grief. And he wants to visit you and give you his presence in this time of testing. Amen. Let's stand this morning. These altars are open.